what do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. It's Wednesday morning. I'm Rachel Silver Cohen with the one and only DB, Dr. Boca. This is another episode of Unpolished Therapy. And I am so happy to be jumping on this morning. Dr. Boca, hi. hi. It's good to see you and hear your voice. You can tell the excitement in my voice, huh? Yes. I'm like thrilled. I can't wait to hear what's going on today. I know. I'm so excited for a multitude of reasons. A, because we're here, right? But more notably on that note, a lot of our listeners know that I have this ghoulish tendency of mine, right? That I am fascinated with stories of death and not because I want to be childlike and silly about it, but really because I have such a quest to satiate my knowledge or my lack of, I should say, when it comes to topics of death. And I have a dear friend who is joining us today, and I'm humbled, who actually, as I like to say, literally cheated death. And I asked him to come on and share his story and we can dig in and break down the wreckage. So to the listeners out there and of course, Dr. Boko also, I want to introduce you to my special friend from college, one of my favorite unpolished people ever. And that is Sherwin Zanjanian. So Sherwin, are you with us? Are you here alive? Your heartbeat is ticking. I am. I am. Nice to be here, guys. Sherwin, hi. Well, Sherwin... That was some introduction, by the way, because I don't get that kind of introduction from Rachel. So you must be one in a million. And I'm so happy that you joined us today. Dr. Boca, Sherwin, his reputation precedes himself because he really is one in a million. And when you hear his story, maybe those statistics, he's even more than one in a million. And I'm going to shut up in a minute and let him share. But Sherwin has always been someone from the beginning of college and even now as adults that everyone wants to be Sherwin's friends because he's a friend to all. And I'm humbled and I'm so excited. The hair on the back of my neck is sticking up just being able to have him with us. So what had happened, and Sherwin, I'm going to let you give the unpolished details, but Sherwin, what is it about two years ago now? Yes, Cinco de Mayo was two years. Cinco de Mayo was two years. Okay. And now we're right at the tail end of July. So Sherwin had a aortic dissection, everyone listening. And those are big words, even for us unpolished people. So I know that that's certainly, I'm not a doctor, but we always joke, I play one on TV or on the podcast. That's a medical emergency, if I've ever heard one. And Sherwin, I'm going to let you go into the details on it, but I do believe that's what? The blood vessels, there's a tear and it's something major and it goes right to your heart. And oh my God. Actually, uh, an air dissection is when part of your heart rips and sort of like shreds, almost like if you got like a flat tire on a car and it starts basically rolling and going all over the place. And so my heart had happened to be shredding, I guess, at the time, and it blocked my right side. I blocked my left side, which basically put all the blood to my right side. And I had like a tree trunk leg. And so they were going to try to possibly amputate my leg to save me if that was possible, whatever it is. Oh my God. Wait, okay. Take a step back here. First of all, I'm like a Grey's Anatomy post-watcher. Okay. Like I've watched all 17 seasons. Not only am I a doctor, but like now I feel like I'm a real doctor. People don't usually survive this. Is that actually true? I think it's maybe a a 1% or 2% survival rate. I don't know if everyone knows who Jamie Dimon is, but he's another guy who survived it like I did. The guy who helped change the financial crisis. 
he would say to me when we had talked a little bit about this episode prior to the podcast, Jamie Dimon is like the LeBron James of the financial world and so on and so forth. And I just want to tie in that it makes perfect sense that if we're going to relate now Sherwin to Jamie Dimon, who is this big figure in the financial world, Sherwin is the biggest figure to all of us who are friends of Sherwin and are lucky enough. So it makes perfect sense that he would be in company with another massive figure who survived something of this nature. And for the listeners out there, if I could just bring it down on another unpolished level and share that people who you might know that actually did not survive in aortic dissection would be the likes of John Ritter, right? From Three's Company. Yeah. And I believe also Alan Fick. Um, So that puts it, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. So Sherwin, walk us through it. What happened? You woke up one morning and you were feeling great. And then what? Well, I got up on a Sunday morning. It's probably seven in the morning. You know, most New Yorkers don't get up at that time. They're either club goers going to sleep or they're getting up for church, I guess, on a Sunday, but not even at seven in the morning. So it's a weird witching hour of New York City where it's like a little quiet. Mm-hmm. I get up, I have breakfast, I sit down, I do a couple hundred push-ups. Oh. I, I sit down to meditate and I take my first breath in, my second breath in, on my third breath, I'm caught and I can't breathe in and I can't breathe out. And instantly I know I'm going to die. And so because I was so aware of my mind, body, spirit, and what I was doing, I was very aware that that first caught breath, I'm going to die. And I'm going to die here by myself. But okay. So my question to you then, I mean, I'd probably be saying the same thing. And I would probably die just out of the anxiety of thinking I was going to die. But how literal is that, Sherwin? Did you really feel like you were going to die because something was so dramatically different than other times you might have said, "Uh oh, I think I'm going to die? No, it wasn't even that. It was the fact that the piece of my heart had ripped and blocked my breathing. And so I was suffocating to death literally, because I couldn't get a breath in or out. And so I was punching my chest, thinking I must have choked on something I had for breakfast. And I'm thinking I got to dislodge whatever this is, because I can't breathe in, and I can't breathe out. And I'm just stuck. So I'm in my apartment where I am now. And I look outside the window, because I'm on the first floor, which is really like the third floor. So I'm looking down on people, but I can see the street. And I look outside, no one out there. Oh I basically, I, I walked to my door. I opened the door. There's only five, six neighbors on my floor. I open the door. There's no one there. I go basically answer the nine one. I call nine one one, and the woman is sort of like, "Who is this? What's your name? What's the problem?" And I'm like, "Can't breathe. I'm dying." And I can't get a breath out, so I can't really say much. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of like realize I'm going to die, and I'm okay with it. And I basically just toss the phone back and fall to the ground. And when I hit the ground, the piece of the heart moved a little bit enough for me to go (laughs) enough as I wake up from almost like coming in and out of basically consciousness. And I realize, oh shit, they're going to find me, but they're not going to be able to get in. And so they can't even find my dead body. So I'm not even thinking I'm going to be alive. I think, let me get to the door so I can basically have them find my dead body from my parents. And so I crawl on my hands and knees to get to the door, just open the door, and my neighbor is standing there walking his dog and comes in, puts a pillow under my head, calls 9112, and two sets of ambulances come in like six minutes, and they save my life. 
And I don't even remember that. He told me that. Weeks later, when I got out of the coma, I saw my neighbor and he looked at me funny. And so I just said, hey, how you doing? He goes, you don't remember what happened? And then he told me the story. And so I had to ask him the story. And he told me that I had opened the door. He had found me. He had put a pillow under my head. He had called the ambulance also. But I wasn't really aware because I was unconscious. I was like, in, you know, it was a few minutes of not breathing in and out. You're pretty much dying. And all the blood was going to my right leg. So I had a tree trunk leg that basically was when you're getting blood going one way, you start suffocating your muscles. Your muscles start dying because you're basically putting all the blood that way in that direction. So I have one leg that's getting no blood and the other leg's getting all the blood. And so basically I'm literally dying one side to the other. So when they answer the door, they come and I live right across the street from Mount Sinai. So you rush me across the street. They figure out I have an aortic dissection. It's not a heart attack or an aneurysm, which is something completely different. Mm-hmm. And they realize it, but they're like, oh, we're closing the hospital. We don't do the surgery anymore. You have to go up to 114th in Amsterdam, which is literally like the other side of the island. You might as well basically be you know, an hour and a half away, except on Sunday morning at this time, there's no cars. And they got up there in 12 minutes. Dr. Boca, is the half. hair on the back of your neck? Sticking up right now. Are you putting this together? It's a Sunday morning. Yes, it's like all no traffic, right? It's like, what were the chances? Like, so in my head, I'm thinking it clearly is not his time to go because everything is lined up so amazingly. And yet, I've always wondered, and you don't know this, Sherwin, but my father was killed in a motorcycle crash. And one of the things that I've always questioned is like, did he know that he was dying? Like, what is that sensation like and that thought like? So there's a part of me that wants to know that too. And if I could just jump in, Sherwin, about four minutes ago, you said in your retelling, and I knew I was going to die and I was okay with it. And then you continued the sentence as if it was like, and anyway, what else is going on? So let's back up. What do you mean? I knew I was going to die and I was okay with it. Um, it's a really scary thing to be knowing you're going to die and everything flashing around you. Right. Oh, I have the chills. Yeah, I have chills. The way things are happening at that warp speed. Okay. So because I had this mind, body, spirit, I was working on myself. Mm -hmm. I was doing MMA, jujitsu and kickboxing. I was doing meditation. I was doing yoga. I was walking 10,000 plus steps. I was doing 200 push-ups as like breakfast. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, I was training with Jimmy Rivera, who's, you know, top 10 in the UFC and an intense guy. And I was reading this book and it was telling me before all this happened, go find a mentor. And I felt to myself, I'm in my late forties. Let me go find a mentor. I don't even know what that really means for me. I was reading a book and and so through the course of it, I was like, I want to be this guy, this intense guy and get myself in that kind of body and shape. And so I was 15 pounds of muscle in when this happened. So I had 15 pounds of muscle I never had ready to go. I had the mind, the body of basically fight ready to go and I wasn't ready to go. And so that was it. Mm. So I, I have a question then, and this is kind of putting the cart before the horse, I guess, but would this have happened without the, I mean, because clearly you were in good physical condition, right? You had been training, you had been doing, you were mind-body connected. Do they think that this happens? Is this a congenital thing? Is this a genetic thing? Is this a thing that happened because you were training so hard? Is this just a fluke situation? Is this like, how do you get such a thing? 
Or, and Sherwin, before you answer that, I'm just going to throw in the unpolished piece because I love you to death and I know you could take it. Or did it ever go through your mind like, could it, this have been because you went to GW and we <laughs> partied like rock stars and now something's coming back to like get you? I mean, talk us through that aspect too. You know, even though I did all the parties and I was, you know, out all the time and I was up late with everybody, I just smoked a little bit of weed and didn't really drink a lot because I wasn't able to count money at the end of the night. I was drunk mm. and I like making the money more than being drunk. Priorities. The nights I got drunk the most were the nights I made the least amount of money. <laughs> and so it was just not smart for me. So I smoked a little bit compared to everybody else and I didn't really do drugs. And so when I got out of the coma, I had this handsome, half Italian, half French, Rico Suave guy named Dr. Gianluca Terragrosa. He saved my life. And wow. he's doing some robotic surgery right now in Chicago, doing some more training. But when I got out of the coma, this good looking guy is like, Do you do a lot of cocaine? And that's the first thing he says to me as I come out of a coma. And I'm like, uh, Never did cocaine in my life, but I smoked some weed. And he's like, No, that's not what I'm talking about. So he goes, okay, do you do uh, heavy weightlifting, like, you know, stuff that's like steroids? Mm-hmm. I was like, look at my body. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I was like 15 pounds lighter than I was. And I was basically literally a toothpick. And I laughed. I said, no, that wasn't it. And he said, the third thing is, it can only be genetic. And so the first thing I'm going to do for you is do genetic testing. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up paying a bunch of money for genetic testing that did nothing. And they found uh-huh. that it was negative. And so those are the top three things it could be but I don't really have the answer. Some people think I might've been training too hard. Some people might've said I was going too intense. I had a weird vision that my body had done all the work it could do. Like I, I was done working like the way I used to work seven days a week ever. And I said to some of my close friends being like, maybe like Rachel, Rachel, you know, I love you so much. We've been friends for so long, but if I have a weird feeling I might die this year. So basically, you know, I just want to tell you I love you. And everyone still started thinking I was being very morbid and very mm-hmm. weird when I was saying that kind of stuff. But it's I was just basically like, oh my God, Lori, it was so nice meeting you. If I don't meet you again, I just want to say it's been a pleasure. It's been amazing, whatever. And I might go deep, but everyone was thinking it was more like morbid. Mm-hmm. And it was just basically my feeling that like my time w- might be up and maximizing that time on whatever level that is. Were you attuned to that at the moment? Or, you know, you were saying this, were you looking at that and saying, huh, why did I say that? Or were you already no, no, feeling it? Only. Only retrospectively. Okay. okay. So you connected was... the dots. Cause now I have the chills again. I like, I need a blanket right now because I'm freezing. Because Sherwin, in all of our conversations too, it, the story is so consistent. You know, you hear so many people who like, they want to tack on a little bit of this and they want to add a little pat of butter and they want to... And I have the chills when you said that there were so many times that you would be engaged with people and say like, hey man, I love you or, you know, hey, whoever, just in case. And and when you just said it now, again, the hair on the back of my neck stood up because I remember that. And it's crazy that at the time you didn't know, but maybe there was some type of higher power or reckoning or something that was forcing you to say your goodbyes that thank God you didn't have to say. Do you remember the conversation of me, you and Hope? when you guys visited in New York? Well, remind me. Well, because we were hanging out and we were talking about the old days and Hope obviously was like so tight with me. We were like best friends and we were having those deep conversations and we were talking about like, how weird is it? Why are we having these deep conversations? And so on and so forth. And then we took the pictures of you guys on either side. And, yeah. we, and it was and it was the Charlie's Angels of yeah. Sherwood's Angels. 
you guys coming down that picture. And it left such a great pick because when that pick we put up on social media, wherever, so many people call me and be like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in so long. I haven't seen Silver in so long. Oh my God, I, I wish I was there. Oh my God, such a cute picture with you and Hope. And, and it had like such a an effect. And yeah. so it's sort of funny because if you want to go full circle of all this stuff, I've always been trying to have like a value or do the right thing or put my best foot forward in every situation. And hopefully that would be a good thing in the future. And just basically have that as a launching pad of how I live my life. And so when I did have that happen, I was leading my best life. Like I was doing everything I wanted to do. Like I just read, like say, to be exact, 98 books, but I read almost wow. hundred books in the last couple of years. And then each book brought me to the next book, which brought me to the next book. And so it's funny because my sister, Donna, who is a psychotherapist right now, has helped me through all of this stuff and things like that. And so when I got out of the coma, she's like, I think you should read this book. And then I read like that first book. And then I basically went to her library and started. So all the books I read, someone had to have read it, loved it, swore by it, and then put it into my world. And so each of those books, I would do the like a cheat sheet of like what I learned from it. And then would share it with people and do certain things. And so in that time, right before all this stuff happened, I have actually, if you look, a composition book, which I haven't written in in like since college, because I was always doing the verbal stuff. I'm a mouth, not really a writer, right? But here I have 2018, 2019, 2020 of stuff that I was writing at the time. And when people open this stuff up, they're mind boggled about why I sat down to actually put it on print. And so if I look on the first part of the book, what does it say? Well, my eyes are almost 50-year-old eyes, but I think hold it up a little bit more. All the listeners, we're on Zoom, so please forgive us. Um, plan for the future? Plan for the future? Past no, to no, the no, future? No, no, no. How do I want my story to end? Oh. In quotes, paint the future. Paint, oh, paint the future. Paint the future. <laughs> the next word, mindfulness. Wow. The next word, enlightenment. Wow. And then so it was like, Happiness now, no thought of post or present, like living in the moment. Right now. Okay. Gold and green, the yellow brick road. And it was mm. basically talking about what is actually what we think are certain things. And in this book, it was basically talking about gold and green and yellow brick road. I just took it out and put it. Next one, self love. The next one's gratitude, forgiveness, empathy, loving kindness. And so each little thing was telling me to say, so sacral chakra, adrenaline glands, Root chakra, energy imbalance. How do I add value? Question mark. And I have every one of those mm-hmm. with questions I need to answer that are in pink. See the pink wow. touches? Yeah, wow. yeah. And so why I was doing that, who the fuck knows? Because I was basically a real estate guy buying and selling real estate, having 54 people in one office, having 15 people in my Jersey office and running around like a lunatic doing everything and building my company from zero to whatever. And I just didn't stop. And then at one point I was like, I got to stop and actually see what the hell is going on. And so on each page, it, like and here, this one, it says, write a book, start a new business. I was dreaming gold for some reason. Mm. And a lot of things were saying, what call are you dreaming? And I was dreaming gold and I was, I was dreaming buying gold bricks and certain things. And it was basically building something amazing, whether you're here or not here. And why I was doing that, I have no idea, but like sort of like leaving your imprint or when people basically put the hospital in some family name or whatever it is, it's to do with some future good, whatever that is. You know what I mean? And so I started writing all this stuff and 
one thing led to another of basically me doing more stuff. Like here, I got a gratitude jar. This is actually funny. I just moved this recently. This I bought a few years ago where I had people basically go in there and basically put it in, but put it in writing and actually write in the gratitude jar that I could actually look and find in the future and open up and basically remind myself whatever was going on right now. What does that one say? Okay, so this is from January 8th, 2017. Which was before the incident. Way before, right? We're in 2021. Yeah. Okay. This is as I'm deciding to divorce my wife, not be with her, and in that transition of figuring out that I need to go like go deeper. There's something more. Yeah, I'm not doing it. And so this is pretty crazy because this is basically after we we know it's over. And so this is random I'm picking this out. And I haven't even spoke about this in so long. So it's really weird to bring this up. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're unpolished here on Unpolished Therapy, so it makes perfect sense to me. (laughs) I'm grateful for the wonderful 10 days I had with my love, Shiva. As I was reborn just recently, I was able to feel again. It is amazing to have no blocks and see and feel so clearly. I'm able to love again. This is a new beginning. It's amazing, and I feel great. I feel real sadness that I realize it's too late to fix things. I'm living day by day, moment to moment, and I feel alive. I will always love Shiva so much. I'm smiling and I'm crying and I'm tearing up right now. I feel weightless. Anything is possible. I look forward to moving forward. I wish I could learn from this. Don't let yourself get stuck in the mud for too long. Never go to sleep angry ever again. And so because I was in a bad place with my wife and we weren't communicating, we weren't doing stuff, I was just going to sleep angry for so many days in a row. And then finally, I just said, by the end of this year, if it doesn't work out, I'm giving it this year. And in that year... Have my transformation, and I said to myself, "She's either going to be with me, or she's not going to be part of what's happening because I'm going somewhere, and I'm leaving everyone who's at the train station behind. I'm getting on this train and moving forward." And, and so this is just a random thing because I haven't spoke about her in a few years. This is just a random one that got pulled out, or maybe someone else who has. I am grateful that I that I got back from my trip safely. Whoever wrote that, or whatever it is, and so those random things in here, like. I am grateful for the trip to the Philippines. I guess that person might have put both of them and I have no idea. But the idea is I was in real transformation. And so instead of me being the party guy, I was giving people, you should come kickboxing with me. You should come to jujitsu with me. I'm amazed. And Dr. Boca, I'm going to literally speak for you. And, and I just know you enough to know that you're amazed too. And there's a couple points I want to make knowing you pre this major life shift and now post. And thank God, I'm so grateful that you're here. But it sounds to me, Sherwin, that the transformation that you were already going through before, as Dr. Bogan and I always say on our podcast, where on the corner of audacity and advice, or in your case, on the corner of your heart and the tear, let's say, had you not been going through this transformation, maybe you wouldn't have made it, Sherwin. I'm just going to say that, that Mm -hmm. all of that inner strength and knowing yourself enough to know that maybe something was off and you needed to make a difference, whether it was in your marriage, whether it was in your career, whether it was just in the pace of life that you were living, how amazing is it that you gave yourself the gift to make a change? And maybe someone like yourself that as long as I've known you, you've always run on so many cylinders and successful at that to boot. I want to point out listeners out there, I don't know anyone who's 
more successful from my vantage point, not just from a financial standpoint, let's say, because you've always been successful in all of your business endeavors, but from a personal standpoint and an emotional standpoint. And that's one of the reasons I love you so much. And I think that's why people are so drawn to you. And the fact that something like this would happen and you're here to talk about it, it's amazing to me that you could be even better and more giving because I just think you're one of the most amazing people that I know. I mean, I get choked up just thinking about it because you know me, Sharon. I can barely tolerate people I do like. And I (laughs) think you're an anomaly in the best possible way. And honestly, I think your currency is not in dollars and cents. And it's great to deposit money in a bank account. And Dr. Boke and I, we've talked about my issues with money and all that. But your worth is so much more. And it's deep in your soul. and, And I can feel it. And I hope the listeners, that translates to them as well. Thank you. It's sort of a very interesting thing because I didn't know what we would talk about or how we would talk about it. Or, you know, everyone asks me different stories or questions on how it comes out. So the story is always different, but it's the same story because it's so vivid in my brain. And I think part of everything was, even when I was in the coma, because it was a self-induced coma, they pull you in and out of the coma just to make sure you're not dead. And so I was in such bad shape. They were giving me deathly doses of morphine. And I'm hearing the doctor say, if we give him any more morphine or whatever the hell it is, it's a deathly dose. And the doctor's like, we have no choice. And so basically they were giving me a deathly dose. And so for like three months afterwards, I was having like horrible, horrible nightmares of being cut open in my sleep. My subconscious obviously was cut open in its sleep. And so that's the dreams I have. I have PTSD dreams of people coming to get me and trying to cut me open while I'm alive. Aye. So that's the PTSD negative dream that I have of it. Everything mm-hmm. else I can handle, but that's obviously something that's basically very, very heavy duty to have yeah. on a regular basis. And so I was dripping through four or five t-shirts a night the first three months, getting the morphine out of my body. Mm-hmm. And so the morphine took a few months to basically literally get out of my body and be done and stuff like that. Would the doctor say like technically you did die, but then came back? What's the story on that end of it? Well, they put me under. They weren't sure I was going to come back because they had told my dad, obviously, is a doctor mm-hmm. that was retired, and my sister was there. So they allowed my dad to sit in the doctor's office, the chairman's office, which is the room next to surgery. And mm-hmm. so they, they were hearing what was going on, but they'd sit there for you know eight and a half, nine and a half hours while the surgery is happening. And so that was obviously difficult. But John Luca, the doctor, had mm-hmm. said that I have a 15% chance of keeping my leg, but they're going to give me a fasciotomy. And so a fasciotomy is when obviously my leg is ballooning up and I'm choking my muscles to death that they bleed you out. They take out a, you know, a little bit of blood and vein on either side of your leg and they take the blood out and they let you like bleed out. And so when I woke up out of the coma, both sides of my leg had been flayed open and they left it open for three weeks. So I got out of the coma for like after a week and I'm like, why is my foot bandaged? And I opened up the bandage and I'm like, oh my God, there's like, like a filet mignon slice oh God. all the way down my leg. And obviously no one can see that, but oh, right wow. there. And yeah. so they cut me open. They left it open on this side and on the other side. But my leg came back to life and I was able to keep my leg. And so the story that I have that I tell everybody is, is that I, I was in the coma and I was dreaming that my foot was on the roulette table. And my foot was on the roulette table. It was spinning and spinning and spinning. And my friend Bart was missing an arm from and a car accident from when we were kids is at the table with me. This is a dream. Sorry to interrupt. This is a dream while you were on the drip 
or yes. after you yes. were out of the coma, no, but no, still no. in the yes. hospital. In between in the hospital. Okay, the in and out. And so my leg is spinning, 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 spinning. And my friend Bart says to me, you got some pretty shitty odds. You got one ball to save your leg. And it's like bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. It bounces, bounces a couple times like it's about to sit and lands on 13. And I was born August 13th. 13 is my lucky number. So it's unlucky for a lot of other people, but it's lucky for me. And so it landed on 13 and he goes, holy shit, you get to keep your leg, but you got like 45 other things to go through to get out of here. And so in my dream, I'm having that kind of like weird, like uh, trippiness of reality and not reality. So the one more thing that needs to be put in here because we're bouncing from place to place and it's not all making sense. But as I'm coming out of the coma, they have a tracheotomy going down my throat. Mm. And that's how they're feeding me. That's how they're giving me stuff, whatever it is. And so they don't realize they're trying to take the trach out, but now I'm out of the coma. Uh And they're having trouble getting it out for 50 minutes, five, zero. Oh my goodness. And I'm awake. And so I'm out of the coma, choking on the trach, meditating while I'm trying to save my life. And so I basically was doing breathing exercises to stay alive for 50 minutes. And that, that was what I told them also. I was like, you didn't realize, guys, I hear what you're doing. You're choking me, but I'm awake. I'm awake, but they have so much drugs in me, I can't move. So right. it's being awake and being like dead at the same time. And so I'm basically like alive, but they, they like I could have died in that straight thing. And it was only me that kept me alive because I've been doing these breathing exercises from these books that my sister gave me, from the exercise I do from, from the kickboxing and the jujitsu and stuff like that. And so all these things come full circle to sort of give me the opportunity to get the fuck out of those situations that maybe, you know, I wouldn't have been able to, but like 50 minutes, five zero of like literally realize like, and, and they're like, and they're like ramming me basically like with this thing as if basically like, you know, it, it was one of the worst experience ever. It kind of was it. like a Grey's Anatomy episode, Dr. Yes. Brokaw. I mean, at this point. I've never I mean, watched Grey's Anatomy, so I don't know. It is. Well, me neither, but from what I hear, it, yes. it almost could sound like this is something you would see on TV because it's really that unbelievable. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you just got to this place because I was going to say a while back when you know you were talking about saying these goodbyes, so to speak, to your friends and kind of having like an inkling, but not an inkling, but only retrospectively understanding this. I don't believe there are coincidences in life. That's just my personal bias. And I believe that we are given that which we need in those moments. And so I'm struck by how many, like you just said, how many of the things that you were doing ahead of time we're all in the service of protecting you in the future, including going through the struggles with your wife. Because what would that have been like? I mean, I'm putting like my therapist fantasy hat on right now. It's like, what would that have been like if you were in an unhappy marriage and hadn't come to a resolution with that, go through all this torment and like wake up from this coma and the suffocation basically and choking and all, and all the, of that to only go back. in your mouth. Right. And to yeah, only, exactly. and to Sorry. only go back. No, I get it. Right. And to only have to go back to this really shitty and I'm not implying that your relationship was shitty, but the shitty circumstance of whatever you were struggling with beforehand. You had done so much self-improvement and self-help to connect yourself with all of these. Again, maybe not in the moment would you have been able to articulate, I'm doing all of these things to be able to help me in the long run, but how it comes full circle that this was like a laid out process that because of all of these amazing things that you were doing for self-growth and self-improvement, 
you were able to save yourself. And I just find that beyond mesmerizing and just so humbling that kudos to you that you took the initiative to do all these things without understanding why you were doing them. And I think a lot of us do that in life. We don't know why we're doing things. That's interesting because I was giving away some of my prized stuff and being like, here, I want to give this to you. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, that's like your prized thing. You can't give that away, whatever it was. And, And I was trying to give my money away. I was basically literally giving my money away for any reason. Like if you asked me for money, I would lend it to you. If you basically need money for this, I would give it to you. And so I was just doing all these weird things. And I realized I was out of control. And so I just had to stop all these weird things. because Everyone was coming at me at one point, And I felt like there's a lot of negative energy around me, all taking advantage of my aura, spirit, and whatever. That you were just trying getting, naturally to get. I was stuck dry pretty much. And I needed to basically change that or whatever. And so... So this would probably not be a good time for me to ask you for like a quick 50 grand. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I did actually I did actually lend one of my friends anyway recently. So no, I don't hold that 100%, but not... Well, Rachel, ask. No, <laughs> I, the only thing I'm asking, Sherwin, is for your continued friendship and your wisdom to share with everyone because truly everyone who comes your way and crosses your path is so blessed. You're so lucky and I'm so humbled that you shared your time with us. I'm going to throw it to Dr. Boca and I have one or two more questions. I want you to think about if there's one thing with besides huge shout out to Gianluca and all the doctors. We always say it takes a village and in this case, it, it takes a village of brilliant doctors. What would you say to our listeners who are our peers and people just like us and good days, bad days, successful days from a financial standpoint, successful days from spiritual and emotional, but then also down days and everything in between. What's the one takeaway you want everyone to know? Well, for me, I know I'm a flawed human being. I know I'm a work in progress. I've been working on it and stuff like that. And I think most people who, they might be smart, but they think they know everything. So they can't open their minds and listen and stuff like that. And so I've always been a big talker, but now I've been listening to myself, listening to other people, absorbing things. And so just reading books is unbelievable because, you know, I I read more books than I did in college. You know what I mean? Like, so like just that amount of books. And so I was reading a book a week, a book or two a week for a couple of years. You know what I mean? And so that's what I ended up going through. But it's funny because I I call him John Luca, which is not respectful because he's Dr. Terracrosa, but the name John Luca kept coming up in my family's name when I was coming in and out of the coma. John Luca, John Luca. And I just and so when I came out of the coma, I was like, Doctor, if I ever have a kid, I'm naming it after you. <laughs> totally. And so, and so the, the kid's middle name would be John Luca. And yeah. so basically no matter what, basically, you know, I did say that when I like I said that when I came out and he was like, Did you do a lot of cocaine? <laughs> so, so, oh yeah. now that's the full story. We, we, okay. we had the different conversations. You know what I mean? Like I was saying one thing and he was saying the other. And so it just sort of funny because I was like, well, I do smoke weed. And he's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm just curious, how have your relationships and how have your perceptions of sweating the small stuff and the stresses in life and things like that, how has that changed since you've gotten through all of this? Well, I realized one thing. I've always been, been good at making money and putting money away and having it and being able to share it, whatever it is. But when you wake up out of the coma, the last thing you think about is money or what you care about and that kind of stuff. Because if you die, all that hard work for money and all this goes to, to nothing. Mm-hmm. And so all the other stuff is actually what matters. And so for me, leaving people a certain way. So I've been touching people if I can. And I've had a couple of people tell me, oh, I feel like I want to kill myself. I feel like whatever, you know, something like that. 
I won't let that person say that to me without me taking it seriously and changing that person or whatever it is. So I've had people tell me I might have killed myself if you didn't talk to me that week or you didn't come over and have that deep conversation. And so I think people don't have that anymore. And so for me, it's having real relationships with less people. And that's pretty much what I do now. I have my buddy Mike in the background who just showed up. We've been friends for like nine years working together, doing stuff. He's my accountant. He's my agent. He's my friend. I don't need a million people around me. I need a few good people. I think that taps to it. I think, you know, relationships are what's important and the impact and the legacy that we make. I think a lot as a therapist, a lot of people come into my office stressing about money, myself included, right? It is a stressor in our lives. But really, what is the most important thing and what kind of legacy do we want to leave? And really, money can't buy happiness, right? Money definitely can't buy health. So when you do have a moment like this, it kind of puts everything into perspective. And, you know, going back to the gratitude jar, like how amazing that, you know, we focus in on the things that are great, that we fill ourselves with our gratitude because those are the things that truly, truly matter. So I know that Rachel wants to wrap this up in a second, but I just have to tell you, Sherwin, like I am so humbled by this experience that you've gone through and you sharing this story. I will have 8,000 questions, as I'm sure our listeners will. And so if you would indulge us, if people have questions, if they can contact us and we can get that to you, or if we promote it on social media and you can chime in with responses. That yeah, so if anybody wants to list the books I read or basically some of the things I was doing, by all means, I mean, I have a list of things I do every day when I wake up. And the first one is, say, doing my bed. Because one of the books was like, if you do anything productive, at least make your bed every day. And so I've been doing that every day, no matter what. Or having a glass of water every day next to my bed. So you take all the toxins out and start your day a certain way. Third might be writing down your dreams in your little dream book. So you basically know why you're dreaming certain things. And then I would have a list of all these different things, including my 200 push-ups, including going to kickboxing. And so I just started making a list of one, two, three things. And I just would do them every day. And so mm-hmm. one of them was call three friends were in need and help them. So every day, basically, I would just be like, who really needs a little something, whatever. And I would call them or just call three friends and say hello. Like I might just call Rachel just to say nothing. Hey, how are you? Remember that funny story about so-and-so and catching up with people. And so I was doing that. And if you have a list of what you want to do every day, you have a full day. But I'm it's here amazing. for I'm very <laughs> blessed to be alive and I'm very happy for anybody to call me if they need anything, especially we'll if a handholder for anything. Sherwin, I think it's amazing. And for the listeners out there, I want you to know when Sherwin does say something, he doesn't just say it to say it. He says it because he means it. And we will link up with the details of the podcast and on our social media platforms, as you know, ways to get in touch with Sherwin if there's any other information that you have. But I have to just tell you, Sherwin, be it tongue in cheek or just direct, unpolished, cheating death looks good on you, man. I mean, you have taken this and you have ridden this all the way up and you are on the other side of the rainbow and the pot of gold is around you. And I have to tell you that I guess it's Billy Joel that says the good die young. But Mm -hmm. when you're unpolished, you say the really good die and come back and help all of us. And I love you. And I am so blessed to see your face on the Zoom and to hear your voice and to share it with Dr. Boca and all of our listeners. This has been a joy to hear your journey, albeit scary as fuck. And you are a friend forever to me and now a friend forever of our show and the podcast. And you've touched all of our lives. So I thank you for that. Well, I'm really happy that you guys invited me on. It means a lot, Rachel. I've loved you since you were 18. I mean, it's a long time. I know. You do the math half on your that. Life, <laughs> half your life. Wow. And, um, I love that. You know, I mean, it's pretty, pretty unbelievable. And so I think friends of your type and, you know, you're not replaceable 
are so invaluable and so amazing and worth weight in gold. And the last comment I'm going to say is when I was coming out of the coma, uh, everyone was visiting me and people were coming over and people were coming from California and Florida and other places, Boston, and staying with me. And I realized that wealth of friends is the most important thing because the guy downstairs, one of my friends came up and he's like, who are you going to go see, Sherwin? And he's like, yeah, how'd you know? He goes, no one gets any visitors in this place except for Sherwin. And I felt very blessed that over that week, everyone came to visit me. But when you're in the hospital about to die, you pretty much die alone. Mm. And so no one let me die alone. And I was able to basically come out of it because of that. But that's really something very important. And so I love you. I love my friends. I love the people around me. It means a lot. And so that's pretty much why I was able to fight through it. And I wasn't ready. And it's a testament to you. I mean, from just being privy to this conversation, not knowing you, Sherwin, but to hear what Rachel's been saying and how you've just been so, we use the word meant like a mensch, like a, an upright, honorable person through your entire life. You get it back a hundredfold. And so it speaks to the type of person that you are. And so thank you for sharing the story, your experience with us. Don't go do it again, please. Like you can be on our podcast no matter what. You can come up with something else. We will tap into your real estate knowledge, your self-help knowledge, your meditate, anything other than your near-death experience. So it's been an honor. And thank you so, so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Hope to see you live soon somewhere else. You know it, baby. You know it. Everyone, this has been another episode of Unpolished Therapy. I am Rachel Silver Cohen, of course, with my cohort, Dr. Boca, and the one and only Sherwin Zanjanian. They broke the mold when he joined us in this world, and we're so happy to have had him today. Have a wonderful week, everybody, and we will see you next time on another episode where we ditch the couch, grab the mic, break down all the wreckage on Unpolished Therapy. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage. <laughs>